postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising a white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Pastor Marcus here, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. Uh, I'm excited to share with you guys some thoughts um, on my podcast today. It's uh, it's titled uh, My Thoughts on the Emerging Conspiracy Theories, the New World Order, and End Time Events, because we're hearing a whole lot about that. Um, at the moment, especially with this COVID-19 thing going on and all the different changes that are happening, of course, people come out of the woodwork with all kind of interesting ideas. So I just want to take a few moments uh, this morning to um, talk about some of those things and what my thoughts are in relation to some of those things. But before I begin, I just want to take a moment to thank every single one of you who have um, so far purchased the uh, what what is it called? The coronavirus quarantine boredom survival ebook pack. <laughs> it's a really long name, but if you're listening right now and you're like, "What in the world is that?" You can actually go to the Story Church Project right now for a limited time. You can get all four of my ebooks for one low price. All right, all four of my ebooks—they're ten dollars each, so that is a total of forty dollars um, American. But you can, for a limited time, get all four of them for fourteen ninety nine. Now, this is uh, not only to help you guys uh, survive the boredom of the coronavirus quarantine by giving you some cool content to read. Uh, it's also going to help me because I'm still raising money to create, develop, and release my new Bible study set. And I need help with that, guys. It is about $6,000 to get this thing completely designed, looking really fresh, really good. Uh, published so you guys can have like really good quality thing that you will absolutely be excited to share with your friends and study the Bible with your secular friends is designed with them in mind but it's also designed to keep cost really low like we didn't want to go crazy with the graphics and colors and all these things because then it just costs more money to print which means it costs more money to buy um, so we wanted to keep it as simple as possible but still make it look really fresh, really clean, elegant, modern. Uh, so that's what we're doing, guys. And I'm working with a graphic designer, and we're just sort of in the process right now. And it's expensive. It's expensive. And so I've put the ebook pack out there. Say, look, if you want to help me get this Bible study set designed, plus read some books that you are interested in. Um, get the pack, guys. Get the pack. Now, maybe you've already ordered a book or two in the past and there's not much point in getting the pack, but if you just want to hop on the website and get one of the other books on its own, that'd be awesome, guys, because every single dollar counts toward making this Bible study set come alive. I needed to make 500 sales in order for um, the set to, in order to have all the funds necessary for the set. And at the moment, I need 380 more. 
So we're getting there, guys. We're getting there, all right? <laughs> 380 more sales, and I will have everything I need to get this study set designed and published. So if you've been sitting on the fence not knowing, I'm telling you, the numbers are getting smaller. You know, 380, that's all I need, guys. Just 380 more, and you, if you hop on there and be a part of that, you could be a part of getting that down to zero and getting this Bible study set out there, done and ready. Um, also, a big thanks to the patrons who support the Story Church project as well. You guys are amazing. And a huge thanks to the Haystack. Uh, the Haystack is a sponsor of the Story Church project um, and love the patrons as well. All right, guys, let me take a few moments now um, of your time to share my thoughts on emerging conspiracy theories, the new world order, and end time events. I wonder if there is some sort of like effect I can add to that. I'm going to look it up after. I want that to sound cool. Um, now, here's the thing. I don't typically talk about conspiracy theories. Something about hyper-excited apocalyptic sketches and preachers in fat, out-of-style neckties and poorly fitted suit jackets, misappropriating Daniel, John, and Ellen White's words in those horribly designed PowerPoint slides with cheap royal blue backgrounds and bright yellow text. It's just not my thing. Uh, but more specifically, all the effort that goes into this stuff just to rile people up with the latest dose of sensationalist melodrama is, how should I put it? It's boring. Now, it's not that the endless conveyor belt, <laughs> it's a nice little image, hey? It's the endless conveyor belt of speculative subterfuge isn't in some way tantalizing. It, it's definitely tantalizing. Like, you know, conspiracy theories are fun, guys. Like, who, who told you they're not? Like, lighten up a bit, man. They're, they're fun, you know? Um, it's, it's, so it's not that they're not, there's not no tantalizing element to them. It's that the ingredients that make up this instantly gratifying pathological meal, so to speak, uh, those ingredients are essentially cheap. The gossip, innuendo, and conjecture mixed with elementary logical fallacies and non-falsifiable postulations sprinkled with decontextualized Bible verses and quotations aberrantly interwoven to maximize dramatic effect. All of it coalesces into a gourmet of the trashy. It's like going to lunch with hunger pangs and uh, you get served processed sugar, paper-thin white bread, and a cup of Nesquik. Not cool. Um, and, you know, in my estimation, this is essentially what conspiracy theories are. So for the most part, I stay away from, <laughs> from these conversations. Um, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I guess I just prefer to have my brain cells put to better use. However, once in a while, I do find it necessary as a pastor to interact with the conspiracy consciousness of my own faith tribe, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Woohoo! Um, and since the present time we inhabit is anything but ordinary, I guess doing something out of the ordinary myself, uh, it seems fitting. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrestle with it today. I'm going to talk about it. Now, you probably are already super aware that the impact of COVID-19 has given fuel to a whole new crusade of conspiracy theories about governments, corporations, and of course, the Catholic Church, because, you know, it wouldn't be complete 
if they weren't in the mix. So in Adventist circles, what tends to happen is these theories are they're baptized in appropriated apocalyptic language, which to the shallow listener provides the theory with a semblance of legitimacy it doesn't deserve. So in this episode today, I want to offer my response, my, my reaction to this renewed vigor in the conspiracy realm from my perspective as a pastor, as a student of the culture, and as a lover of, of prophecy. I definitely am a lover of prophecy. Now, I won't be responding to every single idea that's out there because there's just way too many. Instead, what I want to do is I want to react to the three meta-themes that seem to be repeated in all of the diverse claims and narratives floating around. And those three themes are the end of religious liberty, the arrival of the New World Order, and the restoration of papal oppression. So first, allow me to share why I agree that each of these things are definitely things. Second, allow me to share why I think these things should never become the thing. And finally, allow me to point us all to the thing which should be our thing, even in the midst of these other pseudo things competing for our attention. <laughs> I, hope, I, hope that, I hope that made sense. That was kind of fun. Anyways, why I think these things are definitely things. Let me start with the end of religious liberty. Part of what makes rejecting conspiracy narratives so tricky, though, uh, before I dive into that, is this. Conspiracy narratives, at least the Adventist variety, they're rarely entirely false. So they often have enough truth to them that you can't fully discount them. And what this means is that the only way to measure them is to identify is if the theory is authentic or mere hype. So in other words, you have to separate the claims that could be true from the overexcitement that accompanies them. And in most cases, what you're going to find is that most of the conspiracy theories are tasteless hype, exaggerated and apocryphal. And that's what makes them so irritating to true Bible students because a thing can be true but exaggerated. And you have to tone down the embellishment without neglecting the overall theme to which it is tied. And that's a very frustrating task when the people that you're interacting with see the truth as synonymous with its over-dramatized counterpart. So... The end of religious liberty, for example, is one such case. According to prophecy, the eventual end of religious liberty is definitely a thing. There will be a resurgence of religio-political oppression in the last days, and this resurgence will be driven not by a centralized tyranny of authoritarian dictators, but by a decentralized depotism of everyday people operating according to the categories of self-protection, self-promotion, and self-absorption. And Revelation 13 is perhaps the most lucid text unraveling these soon-to-be sociocultural manifestations with its explicit depictions of forced worship, religious fraudulence, capital punishment, and economic oppression. And of course, such unjust and global maneuvers toward totalitarianism will not emerge in a vacuum. To the contrary, the geopolitical movements of today, they are the pieces of the end time puzzle all being fused together little by little until you get like a complete image, right? And so what this means on a pragmatic level is that the events of Revelation 13 are already unfolding and they've been unfolding for a really long time. 
And so anyone with an ounce of apocalyptic wokeness can see that the geopolitical movements of this age bear glimpses of this progressive unfolding toward the end. But here's the thing. This is not the same as running around telling people that churches closing down is some sort of proof that religious oppression is here. For starters, the entire world has shut down, not just churches. Sports, not essential businesses, movie studios, all of it is on hold because the present issue is a public health issue, not a religious liberty one. So is it possible that these present maneuvers could have some overlap to eventual religious oppression? Possibly. But that doesn't mean that religious oppression is here. Eventual religious oppression is a thing exaggerating and hyperbolizing its themes onto the present public health issues to freak impressionable people out is, I'm sorry, trashy and worthy of condemnation. Let me talk about the arrival of a new world order. In a recent piece of the Washington Times, editor Cheryl K. Chumley shared an opinion piece titled COVID-19, A Crisis Fit for a new world order, where she expressed the view that in times of crisis, or that it is times of crisis that enable political agendas such as globalism to unfold dramatically. So in her, mind you, heavily right-winged bias opinion, the response to COVID-19 is demonstrating just how rapidly the world can devolve into a, and I quote, one currency system that can be controlled by a select few, end quote. And this, she says, is leading to, and I quote again, a total top-down approach to governing that melds borders and cultures into one, end quote. And The Guardian also reports that former British Prime Minister Gordon Brown has urged world leaders to create a temporary form of global government, end quote. And this is intended to facilitate a better universal response to the COVID-19 catastrophe. Now, of course, keep in mind that this is the former British Prime Minister, and he was just making a suggestion, a suggestion which lots of people have rejected. Now, Revelation 13 certainly implies such a thing at the epilogue of the human story, right? It, it posits a beast with a mark that's used to control all people. Um, this kind of echoes Jesus' own apocalyptic warning that when das Ende, if you're German, right, uh, when that begins, the church would be hated by all nations. So to a large degree, the idea of some sort of globalist agenda will manifest at some point in modern history appears to also be a thing. However, here is my point. There is a huge distinction between the simple proposition that some sort of global unity will manifest in the end times and the complex, dizzying, and elaborate intricacies of NWO conspiracies. That's New World Order, right? NWO. So the biggest distinction I've already mentioned, right? The biggest distinction is that the most that the Bible gives us is a basic potential scenario. We don't know the pieces. We don't know uh, the the you know the the pillars or the 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 structures of that and we don't know how intricate or how intense it will be we have no clue right whereas NWO proponents have engineered such a detailed narrative that it takes a person's entire attention to just sort through all the pieces and then if you take into account that none of the SDA pioneers ever spoke about NWO and that Ellen White herself never mentioned it, not even once, you're left wondering, well, where in the world does this idea come from? 
And the answer is simple. It comes from theologians and political thinkers who do not share the Adventist worldview, right? Guys like Malachi Martin, Gary Codd, Don McAlvany, and Gary North. So you have to wonder why in the world so many Adventists spend so much time studying something that doesn't originate anywhere near Adventist theology when they should be studying the Bible and getting to know Jesus more. Finally, it's also important to note that while some sort of potential unification will indeed evolve toward the end of time, the idea that a totalitarian one-world government will arise is also a direct contradiction of Daniel 2, which clearly states that up until the return of Jesus, the iron and the clay would never mix again. And so what we're saying when we're like, yeah, the NWO is coming, there's going to be this totalitarian world government, what we're saying is the opposite of division. We're saying that the iron and the clay are finally going to mix at the end of time. They're going to form one unified government. But the vision doesn't say that. Um, and so basically what we can expect is that according to the vision, human empire will remain fractured until the very end. That's what the vision reveals. And so while, while I'm open to concur that some sort of end time governmental unification is a thing, uh, this is not the same as intoxicating people with extravagant plot lines that appeal to their carnal sensibilities, excite their passions, and nurture what Ellen White referred to as diseases of the imagination. Not the same thing. Finally, uh, let me talk a little bit about this restoration of papal oppression. We love this one. As is the case with religious liberty and uh, this potential globalism, unification um, that we, we see a little bit of in Revelation 13, the restoration of papal oppression is also an eschatologically legitimate perspective. The final explosion of humanitarian and social injustice is something that we see according to revelation um, as being a religio-political one there will be this kind of mixing of temporal governmental systems with the church and this will in turn lead to an age of such widespread injustice that outside of god's intervention no one would survive it right matthew 24 22 points us to that and, and we can already kind of see this at play in the Trump administration, right? Where evangelical leaders have boldly come forward to reclaim Christianity's power in the Oval Office and seek to enforce a fundamentalist moral code through governmental legislation and coercing the masses to comply with the ethics and dogma of those who occupy the particular positions of power. And so in this sense, I do believe, or I've come to believe rather, that the catalyst for final events is not going to emerge from either the political left or the political right, but rather from both. That is, both globalists and nationalists embody ideologies that are at play in Revelation 13. The left embodies the tendency toward the all people of Revelation 13, whereas the right embodies the tendency toward legislated worship also in Revelation 13. And in my estimation, it's the clash and chaos that ensues from the tension between these two partisan ideologies that will, in part, it's going to be way more complex than that, but in part, at least, give birth to the unstable age to come. But back to the papacy. The papacy is a religio-political office, so it makes perfect sense to see this office occupying a position of increasingly centralized influence, especially when global events like COVID-19 are at play. And as American evangelicalism reaches its hands out for more political power, it also makes perfect sense that these two formally opposed institutions will find common ground on which to unite. 
So this picture painted in Revelation 13 definitely fits this narrative. So as far as I'm concerned, um, a resurgence of papal oppression is certainly a thing that will someday be a thing. But once again, it's important to note that the prophetic lens exposes the office of the papacy as playing this end-time role. It never once gives us even the minutest clue as to which particular pope it will be. And so many Adventists I see waste valuable time trying to string together whatever bits of info they can get in order to prove how it's this Pope or it's that Pope and, and, and there's another one coming and, and he's going to be in office for a short time and then another one, you know, and it's just like it's ridiculous. And what, what the bottom line is that this hasn't been revealed to us and it hasn't been revealed to us most likely because it doesn't matter. Right. The point is that the office of the papacy, what the system and position represent, are certainly at play in end time events. And that's all we need to know. Anything beyond this is cheap sugar passing off as spiritual nutrition. Now, let me share why I think these things should never become the thing. Because here's the thing, even if we can agree that the above perceptions are indeed a thing, it remains true that none of those ideas is ever the thing, right? So even if we can say, okay, so there's a sense in which, you know, papal oppression, that's definitely a thing. And, um, you know, some sort of governmental unification is definitely a thing. And, you know, the end of religious liberty is definitely a thing. Like we can see that, yep, makes sense. We can, we can, we can affirm that those ideas are still never the thing. Not even close. They might be valid points to be aware of, but what separates an apocalyptically woke Adventist from a conspiracy-obsessed Adventist is that for the apocalyptically woke, uh, none of these perceptions constitute the central tenet of our faith or conversation. In other words, none of these things are the thing that drives us, moves us, or even interests us. We're aware of them, we can discuss them, but in the end, they are not the thing. So to the contrary, the unfolding apocalyptic dramas, um, they're just supporting events in a much bigger story. They are not the story. And to make them the story, to centralize and emphasize them to the point that we begin to measure others, judge others, or dehumanize others based on these perceptions is to mess up the story God is trying to tell by exaggerating the parts of the story into the whole. And I'm sorry, but damaging the story God is telling the world is not a task I'm interested in participating in, no matter how quote-unquote accurate a particular preacher's theories might be. Now you might ask, all right, man, how does focusing on these things damage the story? And here is where I want to make a really important point that I feel many miss in this discussion. There is this false dichotomy in Adventism that goes something like this. You are either A, an apocalyptically obsessed student of prophecy and world events who's aware of everything the Pope and the UN are up to, or you are B, an apocalyptically ignorant head-in-the-sand Adventist with no knowledge of what's really going on because all you want to do is talk about love. But here's the thing, there is definitely a third option, and it's the option that I recommend. Don't be apocalyptically obsessed or apocalyptically ignorant. Instead, aim to be what I've already mentioned a few times in this, in this rec recording, aim to be apocalyptically woke. And what I mean by this is aim to have a working knowledge of Scripture's end-time narrative so that you are awake to that which God wants you to be awake to. Now, sadly, the apocalyptically obsessed 
step beyond the eschatological landscape and into the realm of cheap, fat food eschatology disguised as present truth. They go beyond the basic platforms and plot line into things that God has seen fit not to reveal. And this leads them down endless rabbit holes and speculations that damage their ability to engage in symmetrical, equilibrated thought. And in the end, their faith becomes more about the coming crisis and the coming Christ. And they pride themselves in knowing, but everything they know is useless trivia. And likewise, the apocalyptically ignorant exhibit a shallow, romanticized faith that is incapable of speaking truth to power or engaging meaningfully with deep existential questions concerning historic and contemporary religio-political oppression and injustice. And so a woke knowledge of prophecy and history um, will enable you to contend meaningfully with the gut-wrenching questions of the skeptic while retaining the centrality of Jesus in your worldview. So let me then, with that statement, move into the last piece of this episode. The thing which should be our thing, even in the midst of all these other pseudo-things competing for our attention. What is the thing that should be our thing? I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, so allow me to put the answer in, in, in one word. Now, I'm not going to yell or anything, but I'm going to try and emphasize this, right? Here's the answer. Here's the thing that should be our thing. Jesus. Now, I can see the apocalyptically obsessed rolling their eyes right now. After all, everybody talks about Jesus, right? The Pentecostals talk about Jesus and the Methodists and the Presbyterian and the Baptists. So if our thing is Jesus, how are we any different to anyone else? Don't we have an urgent warning message to give the world? Aren't we a prophetic movement with something more to say besides Jesus? A no. Yeah, that's right. I said it. No, no. We have nothing more to say to the world. Save this. Jesus. Because Jesus is the heart of Scripture, and Jesus is the heart of prophecy, and Jesus is the heart of Adventism, and Jesus is the heart of reality, and Jesus is the heart of heaven. And when the apocalypse is over, guess what will remain? Jesus. When the apocalypse is underway, guess who will sustain us? Jesus. When the end looms in the horizon still beyond our reach, guess who will prepare us to meet it? Jesus. Because Jesus is everything. And this is why, despite the legitimacy to ideas such as the end of religious liberty, the rise of national unification, or the resurgence of papal oppression, I never get consumed by those ideas because when religious liberty ends, Jesus is my liberty. When a new world order rises to oppose God, Jesus will crush it and introduce a truly new world ordered after love. When the papacy reclaims its identity and unites with the political and religious structures of our world to war against God, Jesus will declare his judgment and annihilate him. Jesus is the center of prophecy. His kingdom is the desire of our hearts, and he will not share his centrality with any other theme, narrative, or scheme of man. He is the thing. Indeed, he is the only thing. And seriously, if you think Adventists shouldn't talk about Jesus because everyone else does, you either don't understand, quote-unquote, everyone else, or you don't understand Adventism because what we have to say about Jesus is a message this world desperately needs to hear, and we are the only organized body of believers saying it. So yeah, I'm just going to leave that one there. Maybe I'll elaborate on that in a future podcast episode or if you're interested if you don't want to wait for me to elaborate on that get the book ebook from my store weirdvolution 
So what are my thoughts on emerging conspiracy theories, the new world order, and end time events? My thoughts are simple. Focus on what God has revealed. Be apocalyptically woke. But remember, those things are not the thing, even though they are things. The thing is Jesus. Let him be your obsession. I want to close with this uh, verse in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12 to 14. I love this verse. God speaking to his people. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. All right, guys, that's it for my episode today. I will catch you next week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, help me put this Bible study set for studying the Bible with secular people. Head over to my store, grab, grab a copy of an ebook, grab the survival pack, the coronavirus survival pack, and um, hopefully I can get this thing published and into your hands by the end of the year. All right, guys, take care, and God bless. Mm-hmm.